Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It's been somewhat fortuitous the past two weeks of readings from Romans chapter 6 with the fact that we have these baptisms next Sunday. Because, of course, like we talked about at the beginning of last week in Romans 6, St. Paul addresses the topic of baptism. And so we, uh, in last week's sermon, discussed how baptism immerses us into the Christ story, how it regenerates us into new life, and how it places us in a covenant with God that comes with both obligation and promise. The promise being eternal life with God, the beatific vision, and the obligation being a moral one that we would live and follow God. And of course, those two poles of the covenant are related because we cannot expect to reach the beatific vision unless we live out our end of the covenant. Now, our reading this week from Romans 6 uh, helps us delve a little further into what it means to live out our covenantal obligations to God because we pick up pretty much right where we left off last week. And so we might ask ourselves the question, what does it look like? What does it mean for us to obey God in the context of our baptismal covenant? And we can answer that a lot of ways. In fact, most theology is trying to answer that question. So many people have come up with many uh, answers. But there are three points that are worth emphasizing in light of our reading this morning. Namely, that, that if we want to uphold our covenantal obligation, then we will pursue the good, that we will produce good fruit, and that we will develop a posture of self-reflection. Now, focusing on baptism last week, we were primarily looking at God's movement towards us. That's what baptism is. He gives us grace through the sacrament. 20th century theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar summarizes what we discussed last week by saying, in the new covenant, what we ought to do follows from what we are. What we ought to do follows from what we are. So if we have been baptized, if our old man has died to sin, and if our new man has been raised with Christ, well, then we should act like that's true or else we're acting contrary to our natures. Having received this grace, then, we turn our attention to our response to God, a response that's only possible given the grace that we have received from him. So having received the sacrament of initiation at baptism, the question is, what now? And in some ways, that can feel kind of anticlimactic at times, because we talk baptism up as as this great entry right into the church, and it is that. But sometimes the emotional high wears off, and it doesn't really feel quite as exciting anymore. Life marches on with all of its mundanity, and it's very easy for us to forget about how significant the grace we receive really is, what a miracle has happened in us. But baptism is always a journey. It's not the the destination. And so as those who have been baptized, our main purpose, our main objective in life is to pursue the good. Now, that's kind of a vague phrase. Uh, Most philosophers of varying stripes would agree with you. Yes, pursue the good. But they would define good in all sorts of ways. As Christians, we know that pursuing the good is not different than serving God. Pursuing the good is serving God. And we know that's true because God is the wellspring of all goodness. St. James reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from above. 
and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. This is what St. Paul is getting at in our reading this morning when he reminds us to yield your members, servants to righteousness, unto holiness. Pursue the good, serve God. And this is not, of course, a point that St. Paul makes to us because it's nice to do good things sometimes, right? He sees this as essential. It is a zero-sum game. He says, for when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. And following his baptismal metaphor, because you have been buried with Christ and raised with him in a new life, you are dead to sin, so there's no, there's no neutral third way where you can either not be sinning or following God. It's one or the other. We're either on one path or the other. If you're not pursuing the good by serving God, then you're a servant of sin. But if you're serving righteousness, then you're a servant of God. One church father commenting on this passage named Origen reminds us that there's a good kind of servitude and a bad kind of freedom. The good kind of servitude is when we give our lives to following God, when we obey his commands. And perhaps surprisingly, at least based on what our world tells us, it's precisely in serving and obeying and submitting to God that we find the purest form of freedom. But the bad kind of freedom that Origen sees as he's discussing this passage is when we live for ourselves, when we indulge in the passions of the flesh. And so the question is, which path will we take? Will we pursue the good? Will we obey God? Or will we indulge the flesh? And whichever one we choose has consequences. And to detail these consequences, St. Paul utilizes the common image, common biblical image, of the tree bearing fruit. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed, he asks? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. It is almost certain that St. Paul here has in mind our Lord's Lord's words in the Gospels. So you can think of Matthew 7, 18, where Jesus says, A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. And building off that same image in Matthew 12, 33, he exhorts his listeners, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. So actions have consequences, because actions are what make us good trees or bad trees. And of course, it's our habits that inform our actions, right? If you have the habit of brushing your teeth, well, then you'll do the action of brushing your teeth. And if you don't have the habit of brushing your teeth, then maybe you should talk to me after the service. (laughs) So our actions have consequences. Those actions are determined by the habits that we develop. And what we see then is that bad trees bear bad fruits, which means the vices or the deadly sins and their negative consequences, which are death. Conversely, good trees bear good fruit, by which is meant the virtues and the positive consequences that come with them. And so in Romans chapter 6, St. Paul wants to remind us of these two paths. He's echoing the words of Joshua in the book of Joshua. Choose this day whom you'll serve. And so he reminds us at the end of the passage, a verse that I'm sure we're all very familiar with. For the wages of sin is death. That's the end of the first road. 
But the second road, the gift of God, is the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you follow that road of vice, all you'll reap is death. But God has given us a great gift in Jesus Christ, and we should pursue that good life through obedience to him. Now, if it's true that we can be good trees or bad trees, well, then it behooves us to develop a posture of self-examination. Self-examination is both an experience and a process, according to Anglican theologian Martin Thornton. Because it's an experience because it has a form, right? We have to actually sit down and do self-examination. It's done at specific times, but it's also a process because our need for self-examination really never comes to an end. It's something that we should always be doing. It's a lifestyle. It's a habit. And what do we do when we do self-examination? Well, we take that critical eye away from the actions of others, and we turn it inward. We look at ourselves, and only when we do this, when we present ourselves to God without all of the facades, without all of the self-justifications, without all our pride, can we really begin to see ourselves for who we are. And in seeing who we are, we're able to intentionally order our lives towards the good, Because we come to an increasing awareness, not only of who we are, but also who God is. It's just like being a doctor, right? What's the first thing a doctor has to do? Make a diagnosis. Once the diagnosis is made, he can make a prescription for treatment. I was reading a book uh, yesterday on the plane um, called Rescuing Socrates. And it's by uh, the director of of a classic or great books program at Columbia University. And, um, and the professor is talking about uh, various works, classical works that have impacted him. And one that impacted him was the Confessions by St. Augustine. So he goes into a long kind of explanation of it, and he, he makes a great observation, which is that in all the history of the church, we think of all these great saints, and, and many of us think, oh, they're so different than us. They were just sort of born with this greater capacity for holiness than any of us could. Yet he makes the point that, that really the people who end up choosing, for example, the celibate monastic life are not the people who were born holy. It's the people who were born with a strong lust of the flesh. And they realized they needed that as a way of controlling themselves. It's a similar principle as far as alcoholism goes, right? It's not the people who don't have the problem with alcoholism who go to AA. It's the people who know that they struggle with that and they seek out sobriety, right? And so it's very similar. In order to get there, you have to engage in a certain kind of self-examination to realize, I have a problem with this. This is uh, causing me uh, issues. And then there is a prescription that occurs. And so the same is true for us, but we can only ever realize what those prescriptions are or what our problems are if we engage in a life of self-reflection. Because we have to reflect on our own choices, our own proclivities, our own struggles in light of the gospel. And when we're, when we're doing that, we can then become aware, we can diagnose our vices and the cause of those vices and take the right anecdote of virtue by following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, amen. amen.